0: Turn, if you would, tonight to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the day. We thank you, Lord, as it's already been mentioned, that we could be back in your house tonight. I thank you for the song that was just sung and the reminder that it was God, I do pray that you'd help us to uh, be the individuals who would go wherever you would lead us. God, that we would be obedient to whatever you would call us to do. And God, I pray that you'd use this message to speak to our hearts tonight, that it'd be a help, that it'd be a blessing. And God, that it would be a, a good reminder for us. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I want to begin by talking about something that I am confident I have talked about in times past. I am sure that I have done this, and you know this to be true, what I'm about to mention. But that is this, that as we go throughout our daily lives, we have a tendency to get used to things. Have you you ever noticed that about yourself? You have a tendency to get used to things. And as a result of getting used to things, you begin to take things for granted. Have you ever been guilty of that? We've all been guilty of taking things for granted. We can reach a point in our marriage where we take our spouse for granted. We can get to a point with our family that we take our children for granted or the children take their parents for granted. If we're not careful, we take our jobs for granted. We take our financial prosperity that all of us in this nation enjoy, whether we feel like we're too prosperous or not. We began to take that for granted. We can take our health for granted. We can take our freedom for granted. And the list can go on and on and on. You and I have a tendency to get used to things. And so as a result of getting used to them, we take those things for granted. Now, when you and I begin to take things for granted, this becomes true of us. We lose sight of a grateful spirit for what we now have and what we now enjoy. Does this make sense? I I don't need a big rambunctious response, but I I do want us to, to let me know if this makes sense or not, okay? You get used to something. So you began to take it for granted, and as a result of taking it for granted, you're no longer as thankful for it as maybe you once were or you now need to be. I know that there have certainly been times in my life where I've gotten used to things, and as a result of getting used to it, I just take it for granted. So as a result, I'm not thankful for it, and and I need to have my attention brought back to reality. I need to be reminded how blessed and how fortunate and how grateful I need to be for certain things in my life. There have just been many moments in my life over the years where I've needed to just say, Lord, I'm sorry I've taken that for granted. And Lord, I'm sorry I've taken that for granted. And and Lord, I need to thank you for that because I have not thanked you for that in a very long time. You and I, we lose sight of the grateful spirit or or we're no longer grateful like we're supposed to be when we take things for granted, those things that we have grown used to, whatever it is. Now, as that happens in so many areas of life, I want us to think about this because it is true, though not necessarily enjoyable to admit maybe, but the same is true as it relates to our spiritual lives. Would you agree? Meaning, there are certain spiritual truths that we get used to. And as a result of getting, those, getting used to those spiritual truths and those spiritual realities, as a result of getting used to that, we just have kind of grown accustomed to it to the point that we take those things for granted. And as a result of taking those things for granted... We're no longer as grateful for those things as we ought to be. How many of us would have to admit tonight, and I don't need a big response again, but how many of us would have to admit that there have been certain times in our spiritual lives we have needed certain reminders to kind of snap us out of this, this I don't know, just mindless state towards certain truths, and we need to be reminded of that truth so that we could say, Lord, thank you, and thank you for reminding me of that so I no longer take it for granted, at least not right now because that tends to be a cycle that we get into from time to time, even in our spiritual lives. We know these things, but yet we're so used to it, we take it for granted, so now we're not thankful for it like we ought. It happens. And so tonight I want us to look at some verses, and I think that this is something that if we're not careful, we get used to and we begin to take for granted, and then we're not as thankful for it as we ought to be. But before we do, I want to remind us, of what chapter seven is dealt with and what chapter seven is covered because chapter seven though it's been difficult for me it has been a very rewarding chapter to study and try to present to you I don't know if it's been enjoyable for you if it's been profitable for you but it's been profitable for me to present this information to you and so in chapter seven we begin with this truth that the Jews had to hear though painful it may have been we began with this truth that Christ was superior over or, or uh, Christ was superior over the law as Melchizedek was superior over Abraham. There was that correlation drawn. And so we've watched as the writer has made clear that Christ and the work of Christ as a high priest was superior over the work of the high priest in their day. All right, so that's where we began in chapter 7. Then in chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, we watch as the writer said that the law or the old manner of ways or the old uh, customs, that they had been disannulled or they had been abolished because the old covenant or the old commandment, it was now weak and unprofitable because the law made nothing perfect, okay? The law could not complete the spiritual need that was necessary or that was present in the life of man But only that which God could do through Christ could the the completion come, the completed spiritual work that was needed in our life be done. And he said in verse number 19, by which we draw nigh unto God. So through the work of Christ, men and women and children who call upon Christ are able to have a close and personal relationship with him. That is something they were not able to have Under the Old Testament law, there was always a measure of distance kept between the child of God and God himself. And so then last week, as we looked in verses 20 through 25, what we discovered was this. In verse number 25, a very powerful verse He said, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That meant completely and entirely those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And so the writer reminds them that Christ is able to save completely and entirely. But in verse number 24, this is what we looked at. He said, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. And so what the context reminded us of is this, is the work of Christ is an unchanging work. Though it once lied in the hands of the high priest to do the spiritual work on behalf of the people, the work of Christ had now come, and that was an unchanging work, and nothing would replace it. So I tried to remind us last week that the work of Christ 2,000 years ago is still in effect today, and it will always be in effect. The only way that a person will ever be saved is by coming to God through Jesus Christ. It's just an unchangeable work that cannot change, that will not change, and we do not have the right to try to change it ourselves or to try to alter it. So that all being said, in verse number 26, I want to begin looking toward the middle, okay? I want us to look at what the writer has to say about Christ. What I'm about to say, I understand, is not anything that is new. You will not leave here tonight, most likely, and say, well, I didn't know that about Christ. But it is a good reminder for you and I to to think on who Christ is and what Christ was as he lived on this earth. So notice what he said. He said in verse number 26 of Christ, Who is holy? Who is holy? What did he just say Christ was? He said Christ was holy. When Christ lived on this earth, when Christ dealt with men, as Christ moved about and interacted with mankind, he said Christ was and Christ is holy holy. So what does it mean whenever he said Christ is holy? It means this, to be free and undefiled by any and all sin. To be free from any and all sin and to be undefiled by any and all sin. Can you imagine for just a moment what that must look like? Think about your life for just a moment as I think about my life for just a moment. As much as I'm supposed to strive to be holy because he is holy, here is what I know of my life. I am far from true holiness. I look at my life and I say, okay, uh, if I were to ask myself, am I free from any and all sin? Friends, I don't have to think about that one very long. Uh, I know that I am not free from sin, and I know that I am not undefiled by sin. I, I know that in my thought life I struggle. I know that in my response sometimes, my response to certain situations is not always what it's supposed to be. There are times that I'm angry. There are times that I'm quiet. There are times that, that, that I just I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Do you understand how flawed we are? You and I are flawed individuals. And yet when Christ came to this earth and he dwelt among men, let's listen to this, when Christ came to this earth, He never one time did anything that he was not supposed to do. There was never a time in which he said to his disciples, Guys, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. There was never a time in which he he was in a situation and he did something and he said, Man, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to get forgiveness of that one. There has never and there was never a time where Christ made even the slightest of mistakes or sins. He was free from any and all sin. He was not defiled by anything. Think on that. We'll see this more in just a moment, but that stands in a pretty sharp contrast to mankind. He said next in verse number 26 not only was he holy, he said he was harmless. He was harmless. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word harmless. I know what I think of. I think of something like this. Well, not scary. He wasn't dangerous. He wasn't someone who was going to hurt you. But it's interesting how the word has changed over the years. The word harmless in this context would mean this. To be innocent or free from fraud or guile. To be free from fraud or guile. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, I, I think if you're a student of the New Testament, here's what you would remember and here's what you would discover, is that even in the days of Christ, there were religious shysters. There's were, there were con artists. There were men who would promote themselves to be certain things, and yet they were not what they claimed to be. Now, when you think about the ministry of Christ, here is what the writer declares is that Christ is everything he said he was. No matter the accusation that one may bring against him, the accusation would be proven false. No matter the charge that someone may bring against Christ, if it was a false charge, if it was a false accusation, it would be proven to not be so. See, there were so many people in their days who would, again, scam people, who would con people, who would take advantage of the gullibility of people, and yet with Christ, he was everything that he and others said he was. He was free from all kind of guile. He was free from any kind of fraud. The ministry of Christ was genuine. It was authentic. It was real. That's good to know. It's good to be reminded of. He said next in verse number 26, not only was he holy and harmless, he was undefiled. Somebody says, isn't that... Like holiness. It would be similar, but it's different. What does it mean to be undefiled? Well, it would mean this, to be unsoiled or uncontaminated. To be unsoiled or uncontaminated. Holiness amazes me. True holiness amazes me. But to be undefiled in the context in which this is stated and the thoughts that are conveyed in this word to be undefiled, it amazes me, I think, almost as much or more than holiness if you can say that and it be okay. Now, why do I say that? Let me ask you something. How many of you want to live a holy life? I mean, just you don't have to I mean you don't have to jump up because I don't think you're going to tonight, but I mean, you would say, you know, I, I have a desire to live a holy life. I don't want to live in sin. I, I don't want to say things that I shouldn't say, do, things I shouldn't do. You and I, I hope, would say that we want to live holy lives. Nobody knows better than ourselves how bad we fail in that. But here's what I've discovered of myself. That as much as I may strive to be holy, I still find that so many times I am defiled, not necessarily because of my own imperfections and my own sinful nature, but this world that I live in tends to rub off on me, though I don't desire it to. And as a result, it soils and it contaminates me. I was thinking about it as I, as I was preparing for the message. I was thinking about my my days at the dealership. I've probably shared this at some point before, but but whenever I would work at the dealership, I had just left staff there on on, on uh, at Eastland and Tulsa, and so I was still very ministry-minded. I was still focused on the ministry. The ministry was still what I desired to be a part of. I was trying at that point to live a holy, righteous, godly life. I would go to work, and just the profanity that you would hear all day long. I I didn't want to curse. I I didn't want to use that kind of language. But I would have these words run through my mind. you're, You're better than this, I'm sure. Let's listen. There was a reason for that. I was immersed in an ungodly, wicked world. And so as a result, it would contaminate, and it would soil, and it would defile. And so there would be times, I mean, that's not how my mind was working. That's not what my mind was wanting to think about or to do. But yet I was so engrossed in all this filth and this garbage, I never used the language out loud but there would just be these moments where words would cross through my mind and I would think, where did that come from? It came from the sinful world that I was a part of and I would have to say, Lord, please forgive me for even letting those thoughts come through my mind. God, you, don't know, God, you know that I don't want to think that way, that I don't ever want to respond that way. And, and I had to work at that. I would hear the most immoral, ungodly, vulgar conversation about their weekends and about their nights before, and I would find myself thinking about that. Now think about this for just a moment. The world was no less sinful in the days of Christ. There was all the sin, there was all the filth, there was all the profanity, there was all the immorality, there was all the vulgarity. Everything that you and I deal with today, it was present in the days of Christ. And yet it never contaminated or soiled Christ. So as a result of all the filth that he would have been surrounded by because he lived in a godless world like you and I do, he never once had a thought run through his head where he said to himself, Now where did that come from? He never once found himself meditating or dwelling upon some inappropriate conversation that he, had two, that he heard two people having. Think about this. If you could somehow make yourself undefiable by the world that we live in, how much easier would it make life? How much more enjoyable would it make life? It would make, I mean, okay, I'm just going to speak for myself. I think it would make life far more comfortable and far more enjoyable because it would be like, yeah, it doesn't bother me. Because, see, you hear people say things like this, oh, that doesn't really bother me. And what that means is they're not smart enough to know that it bothers them. Because when we are immersed in it, when we are around it all the time, it rubs off on us. And there are times we just need a good spiritual bath. We just need a good spiritual cleansing. And we need to say, Lord, you know that I don't want to think that way. I don't want to act that way. I don't want to live that way. And, and that is a prayer that Christ never had to pray his father. He was undefiled. Notice what he said next. He said of Christ that he was separate from sinners. He was separate from sinners. Well, what does this mean? Well, we know what it does not mean. We know that he did not shun or isolate himself from sinners. The accusation that was brought upon Christ is the is the fact that he hung out with sinners and he associated with sinners. So we know that it was not a statement that he separated himself from sinners and he would not have contact with them. But here's what the idea would be. Is that Christ lived in a different world than the sinners because of who Christ was. How many of us have ever found ourselves in a situation, we found ourselves in an environment where you just knew, I don't fit in here? And that can be for a good reason or for a bad reason, but you've just found yourself in a situation and it is obvious, this is not who I am. I am not rich, I am not elite, I am not influential, I am not powerful, I'm not, I'm not anything compared to these people. And you just know, okay, there, there's a gap between us and them. See, the reality of it was this. As though Christ came to this earth and he dwelt among men, though he interacted with the sinner on a regular basis, there was still such a distance between Christ and man that he was separate from man in, in just so many ways. He's able to identify, he's able to relate, but because of his holiness, because of his lack of sinfulness, because of the fact that he's undefiled, he's not corrupt or contaminated or anything like that, It just obviously would separate him from normal mankind. And I'll just say this, I'm thankful for it. How disappointing would it be if Christ was just one of the guys? If Christ was just one of us. I am thankful that the writer reminded them that he was separate from sinners. And then he said in the last part of verse number twenty six, and made himself or and made higher. Than the heavens. What does it mean to be made higher than the heavens? It simply means this that he was exalted or he was raised in status above the heavens. He was praised. Because of who Christ is, he could not help but be exalted or praised or made higher. So notice what he said in verse number 27 of Christ. Remember what the conversation has been about it's been about the high priest and the position of Christ. Now, as the ultimate high priest, he said, Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's? You know what that means? It means this, the writer was reminding the Jews, you know how it was under the Old Testament law? You know how it was under the Old Covenant? Before the high priest could offer up a sacrifice for your sin, you know what they had to do? They had to sacrifice something on behalf of their own sin. Because of their own infirmity, what we'll read in verse number 28, because of their own weakness, because of their own humanity, they were not able to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people until they were willing or able to make a sacrifice on their own behalf. But he said of Christ, because he was holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, Christ didn't have to do that. Christ didn't have to make a sacrifice for his own sin first and then become the sacrifice for us. No, he said Christ was simply the one who gave himself uh, because he was a perfect sacrifice, obviously, from the beginning. And so then he said in verse number uh, 27, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Verse number 28, for the law, that being the old covenant, the old system, For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. See, the Levites became the priests because that's what the law dictated. But they had weaknesses, they had infirmities, they had shortcomings. But the word of the oath, the covenant that was given, which was since the law or after the law, Maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. So we get back to the eternal nature and the eternal aspect of the priesthood of Christ that resulted from the oath or the covenant that was given that we dealt with last week in the message. All right? And so he just reiterates the eternal, unchanging priesthood of Christ and how it was separate and distinct and distinguished from the high priest of the, Le- of the Levitical priesthood. So are you reminded of all this? Who is Christ? He was holy, he was harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And this is what the writer is telling the Jews, whether they accepted it or not. All right. So we hear all that, and we're reminded of it. Verse number 26, go back to it for just a moment. He said in the first part of the verse, "Watch just watch this statement. For such an high priest became us. You read that? Think about that. For such an high priest became us. What does that mean? It means this. That Christ, who is all this, became one of us. Oh, I know, Brother Kyle. Oh, I know. I know we know. And that's the problem. We know it so well that so many times we get used to it. And as a result of getting used to it, we take it for granted. And as a result of taking it for granted, we're not as grateful and as thankful for the reality of it as we ought to be. Think about that, please, for just a moment. The writer said, such an high priest became us. Though he was holy, though he was harmless, though he was undefiled, though he was separate from sinners, though he was made higher than the heavens, exalted and and praised and raised up, though that was who he is, he became us. Why is that important? It is important because if you consider the context of the chapter, had Christ not become us, we would still be under an Old Testament covenant, an Old Testament law that was limited in its scope to meet our spiritual needs. Had Christ not become us, we would still be living in a religious system that was incapable of saving us to the uttermost. Now, I can see this isn't going to excite some of us, but that's going to be between you and the Lord, okay? How, how would you like to know that tonight it still wasn't quite fully finished? Uh, There's still work to be done. Though we've done something tonight, we'll have to do something again next week. Though the sacrifice has been made today, uh, we'll have to come back again next week and we'll have to present another sacrifice and another offering. I mean, would, would that thrill you to think that we were still only partially getting the job done spiritually? I don't know about you, but for me, I need to be reminded, thank God that Christ came and became us so that I could be saved Completely and entirely, and not limited in its ability, the work of the religious system to meet my spiritual needs. Boy, I need to be reminded of this. Because it reminds me that because of the completed work of Christ, Not only am I able to be saved to the uttermost, but I am able to draw nigh unto the Lord. Do you realize that if it were not for Christ becoming man and dwelling on this earth and dealing with us sinful, wicked types such as us, Do we realize that not only could we not be saved, we would not have the privilege to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with Christ? We would only be able to go so far. We would only be able to get so close in that relationship with Him. And then it would have to stop and it would have to cease to to take place. We, We could only get so close. But because of the work of a holy, harmless, undefiled God who came and gave Himself to die on the cross for our sins... I am able to say, Lord, save me, and he did, and Lord, I want to be close to you, I want to walk with you, and I can, because he became us. You know why we're saved tonight? It's not because of anything we did. It's because of the work of Christ that we took advantage of. Verse number 25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by or through him. You are saved, if you're saved tonight, because of what Christ did for you. And however close your relationship with God is tonight, it's not because of you entirely and solely. It is because of the work of Christ that you're able to to be close to Him. Now all I'm trying to do tonight is just to remind us of the wonderful work of Christ on behalf of mankind. He was willing to leave everything that He had and enjoyed in heaven to come be one of us. So that we can have all that is available to us. Now, friends, I'm telling you, that is something we need to be careful as it relates to just getting used to it. Oh, yeah, I I know. Hold on, hold on. Don't get used to that. Because when we, and I say we, when we get used to that, we take what we now have for granted. And when we take it for granted, we're not as thankful as we ought to be. I'd like to ask you something this evening. I don't want any kind of response. I just want you to consider the question this evening. When was the last time you said, Lord, thank you for saving me? And I don't mean in your prayers when you are praying and you said, Lord, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, and thank you for saving my soul, thank you for this. Because you know how sometimes we're not really mentally engaged in what we're saying? I feel alone in this right now. But, you know, sometimes in our prayer life, we're not really as engaged in the process as we should be. Let me ask you, when was the last time it just kind of amazed you that out of all the people in the world who have a personal relationship with God through Christ, you're one of them? That's something to be thankful for. When was the last time that just kind of overwhelmed us and just amazed us? And we said, Lord, I'm so thankful. See, there's a connection here. If you can't remember the last time it just kind of overwhelmed you and amazed you that, wow. God, because of what you did in my life through Christ, thank you? See, if there's not that measure of gratitude, it means that we've gotten to a point where we take it for granted, our salvation. Oh, Brother Kyle, I would never. Oh, garbage, we would never. We do, we have, we will, some are. And if we're taking it for granted, it's because we've gotten used to it. Just ask yourself that question. When was the last time I was so overwhelmed with the fact that he became one of us so that he could save us, so that I could be saved to the uttermost, so that I could have a personal, near, intimate relationship with him? When was the last time that that got our attention? We need to be reminded because we don't need to get used to it and we don't want to take it for granted. We need to be thankful for the work of Christ. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that the writer gave to his fellow countrymen, the fellow Jews there that uh, would need to hear at that time the, the holiness of, of you and the, just the amazingness of who you were as you walked on this earth, Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that he gave them because it serves as a great reminder to us tonight. Lord, I know that as I studied, as I prepared for the message, I needed the reminder because I have gotten used to it and I have taken it for granted and I'm not as grateful as I ought to be. And Lord, there may be some in here this evening who would have to admit they've been guilty of the same thing. They've gotten so used to your work, they've gotten so used to what you accomplished in their life that they take it for granted now, they don't really think about it and they don't express much thanks for it. God, would you remind us tonight how blessed we are to have the completed work of salvation available to us. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.